In the name of the true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So who here knows how to ride a bike? A show of hands, please. Yeah, pretty much everyone. We get there after a certain age, and I expect you remember how you learned. I certainly remember how I learned and how we taught our son. You take that bike without its training wheels, you find a parking lot or some empty road, and child's on the bike, you, the parent, are at the back holding on and telling your child, you can do this, you can do this, just pedal, just pedal, you can do this, trust me, you can do this. And the child wobbles and is not at all sure they can do this, and usually doesn't work a couple of times, and usually about time three, with mom or dad at the back saying, trust me, you can do this, just pedal. The kid is pedaling, mom or dad lets go. You don't tell the kid you've let go, and they keep going. Of course, then they find out you're not holding on, so they tend to fall over that first time. But after that, it takes about two or three more times, and then you're off. It's a fabulous thing, learning to ride a bike. And learning to ride a bike obviously leads me to Abram and Nicodemus. Now, I am confident that neither one of them rode a bike, because there were no bikes in either of their eras. But let's start with Abram. Abram is known as the father of faith, and he is known as the father of faith for Jews, for Christians, and for Muslims, all three of us. And if you want to know why, it's that tiny little story that we just heard from the book of Genesis. The fact is, Abram's story goes on through much of the book of Genesis, but it's that part right here, because here is Abram, a well-established older man with a family, a household, a life. And God says, Abram, go to a land that I will show you, and there you will prosper. Trust me, basically, is what God says. And Abram does. He goes. It's a remarkable story. And that's why all three of the great monotheistic religions hold up Abram as the father of faith, the one who, when God said go, actually got up and went. Then we have the story of Nicodemus, and I think Nicodemus is probably a little more relatable for most of us. He also is well-established. We don't know if he's old or middle-aged or whatever, but he's a Pharisee. We will find out later, because he turns up a couple more times in the gospel, that he's a member of the governing council of the religious authorities. He's got a good life, or at least as good a life as you can have as a Jew living under Roman occupation. And when he comes to Jesus, it would seem that he is more curious than trusting. He's seen the wonder works. He's heard some of the teaching. He's been pretty impressed. And so he goes to talk to Jesus, saying, we know that somehow you're connected to God. You couldn't do this apart from God. But he comes by night. 
because his fellow Pharisees are not so pleased about Jesus. Indeed, they are pretty angry with Jesus, and he doesn't need to be ruining his reputation for no good reason. And Jesus doesn't say, trust me. They get into this funny conversation about being born anew, about being born from water and the spirit, about the wind blowing where it will. And then Jesus finishes up by mentioning a snake on a stick. A snake on a stick. He's referencing Moses, so pretty sure that Nicodemus actually got the reference. You probably don't get the reference. I'm about to help with that. But the story is actually in the Bible, and if you want to look it up, it's Numbers chapter 21, very near the front. The book of Numbers chapter 21. But here's what happens in this story. It turns out the people in the wilderness are going along during their 40 years. They are grumbling because that's what they do. They are grumbling a lot. And suddenly there is an attack of poisonous snakes. And everyone who is bitten by one of the snakes dies. Moses takes a bronze serpent, fancy name for a snake, holds it up on a pole and says to the people, if you look upon the snake, you will live. Pretty weird bit of magic right there. But in Numbers chapter 21, that's exactly what happened. Those who look upon the snake, that bronze serpent, live. So Nicodemus goes away. But as I mentioned, he comes back two more times. The next time, he defends Jesus in front of the religious council of which he's a part. It's a pretty risky thing to do. Clearly, he's feeling a little bolder. The last time he turns up, he actually goes to Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, the person who ordered Jesus' execution, the man with all the power and asks if he could take Jesus' body down from the cross so that Jesus can be buried before sundown in accordance with religious law. It was a pretty brave thing to do. And I think it all goes back to the snake story. Because Jesus says, the Son of Man will be lifted up Sometimes in hymns, we talk about Jesus being hung from the tree when we talk about his crucifixion. And on Good Friday, we sing, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And I'm confident that Nicodemus was, maybe along with some of the other Pharisees who went up to mock, but he wasn't mocking. I think Nicodemus looked and saw Jesus hanging on that tree saw the thing he was most afraid of, the thing that most of us are most afraid of, which is death, which is death, and saw pain and saw suffering, but didn't see fear. Nicodemus looked at Jesus, and he saw love. And he knew this is the one I can trust. This 
is the one I can trust. Today and every day for all my days. It changed his life. It can change ours. Trust can do that when we trust in Jesus. Amen.